Good morning. Just want to extend one final invitation, men. If you have not signed up, today's the last Sunday to be able to sign up for this Act Like Men conference in June. And we would love to have you join us in Chicago. It's going to be a great, great conference, a great opportunity uh, to hear God's Word taught by some fantastic Bible teachers. And so uh, make sure you, you get signed up today, get us the Word, and we'll, we'll get you on the list. Uh, just a few other announcements I want to make mention of before we get back into James chapter 1. Uh, uh, coming up next Saturday, the, uh, the junior hires are going to be going to the water park down in Mount Pleasant. And so if you have a junior hire in Route 28 and they might be interested in this, please st- uh, see Steve today. I stumbled over that in the first service too. See Steve today and uh, you can get signed up tonight at Route 28. Make sure you get your name on the list. And then the following day, the, the senior hires get their turn. On the 22nd, on Sunday the 22nd, uh, they're going to have the extreme laser tag uh, for the for the uh, senior high schooler. So if you if you have a senior high student, make sure you again you get signed up right away and get your name in. And then next week, also on the same day on the twenty second, we're going to have a VBS volunteer meeting for anybody interested in serving in, in VBS. And I just want to once again reiterate this that um, anybody anybody can serve no matter what your gifts are. You know, you think me, I, I can't teach kids or I can't be up front being goofy and leading songs, but God has, a, has an opportunity for you to serve no matter what your gifts and talents are. And so we would love for you to use them. Uh, if you are free, it's, the, it's the, the week of July 13th through the 18th this summer. So if you're at all interested, come on out next Sunday at 1230 for the VBS volunteer meeting. If you have your Bibles, again, join me in James chapter 1 as we continue our study through the book of James. If you, if you weren't here last week when we kind of kicked this off and began talking about it, I just want to uh, hit a few things by way of review. Um, as far as James goes, uh, the book, as you might gather from the title, was written by James himself. Uh, he was the, he's the author. Um, there are several Jameses in the New Testament. Most scholars believe it was James, the brother of Jesus, who got saved a little bit later on in his, in his life, uh, sometime after the resurrection. And he wrote this letter. He wrote it to uh, mostly Jewish individuals who had been scattered from the area of Jerusalem by persecution. These were believers. James had, had been a pastor to them. And when persecution hit, they had, to, they had to flee the city. And so many of them were struggling to make it economically and even spiritually. Some of them were being oppressed and, and just hurt. And many of them were facing trials and they didn't know how to face them. And so James wrote to encourage them. And he wrote really to tell them how to put their faith to work. To, uh, to show them that true, genuine faith is one that works itself out practically. It's one that can be seen by others. It puts hands and feet and is not just all talk. Last week we talked about trials and the attitude that we're supposed to have in encountering trials. This first section in the book of James deals with uh, how we're supposed to handle trials, and that continues today. And now he's going to talk to us about handling them with wisdom. Handling trials with wisdom. He tells us, and we're going to read verses 5 through 8 if you want to follow along in your copy of God's Word. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts 
is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. An angel once appeared at a university faculty meeting and told the dean that in return for his unselfish and exemplary behavior, the Lord was going to reward him. And he got a choice of his reward. He could choose between infinite wealth, um, wisdom, or beauty. Without hesitating, the dean selected infinite wisdom. Done, said the angel. And he disappeared in a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning. Well, then all of the heads that were in the meeting turned toward the dean He just sat there surrounded by a faint halo of light. And at length, one of his colleagues leaned over and whispered, Well, aren't you going to say something wise? The dean looked at each of them and said, I should have taken the money. Sometimes we're not really sure what to do with wisdom. When we're in situations when we're faced with uncertainty and not not sure what to do, sometimes we just kind of toss up our hands and think, What? What does God want me to do in these situations? What, what is God asking of me? We all encounter situations in life where we simply just don't know what to do. And James is writing to Christians here who are in, a tr- in trials, who are facing real life difficulties. And he says, I- I'm going to give you some words of wisdom here. I want to tell you what to do when you don't know what to do. And so he tells them, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The first thing I want us to see from this passage, and if you're filling out notes, it's the first blank there, is that wisdom is for the needy. Wisdom is for the needy. You can't, if you can't see your need for it, you're not going to ask for it. It's that way in so many walks of life, whether it comes to, to your kids and them wanting food. You know, when they're, when they're hungry, they're going to they come to you and they ask you. Even if they're a little baby and they haven't learned how to use words yet, they let you know when they're hungry, don't they? They let you know loud and clear. Same is true for wisdom. God wants us to ask for it, but we're not going to ask for it unless we first see the need. Unless we first are looking around us saying, I don't have a clue how to, how to proceed here. I don't have a clue what to do. I think before we go any further, it might be wise of us to think about w- what is wisdom. It might be one of those words that we use without really getting a clear grasp on the exact definition of it. It can be a little bit slippery to define, but we need to make sure that we know that wisdom is not simply knowledge or information. You can be a trivial pursuit champion and not be wise. You can know a lot of facts and figures about things. You might be able to um, name the, all, the, all the 50 states and all their capitals. You might be able to uh, uh, list off all the presidents that we've ever had in order. You might be able to be just filled with all kinds of factual information and knowledge, yet not be wise. In fact, I want to take it even a step further. You might even know a lot about the Word of God. 
You might be able to know where you can find all 66 books of the Bible. I might be able to rattle off one of those books and you could just whip off the, a summary theme and tell me what that book of the Bible is about. You might have a lot of scripture memorized and be able to quote a lot of verses that you learned as a kid or now as an adult. You might know a lot about the Bible, but again, that is not the same as being wise. You can have lots of information, lots of knowledge, and still be an unwise person. In fact, one writer said about this, he said, if we say about someone he knows the Bible really well, well, so far we've just described a knowledgeable person. But listen to this. I like, I like how he defines wisdom. He says, but if he also knows how to use his Bible to understand life and the world around him, to guide his own conduct and the conduct of others into the maze of life's problems, then knowledge has passed over to wisdom. Do you get that? That, that when we begin to use God's word and apply it to real life situations, whether it's in our own life or to help someone see how it applies to their life, now we've moved from simple knowledge to genuine wisdom. Wisdom is being able to apply the truths of God's word to the real world. Real world. It's looking at life through God's perspective. The Proverbs and, and Job tell us that wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. It begins with a knowledge of who God is and what he's like. And then we spread to the rest of his word. And then we seek to apply those truths to life. That is wisdom. So coming back to James now. Wisdom is for the needy. And we, first of all, need to realize that we really, really, really need it. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says. Now, you noticed he used the a kind of an if-then statement. Now, some of us, when we use if-then statements, it's because there's uncertainty. Like, if you go to the store today, would you pick me up a gallon of milk? That is, I'm not sure if you're going to the store or not, but if you do, would you get me a gallon of milk? That's not how the, the Greek in this passage is structuring the, the, the statement. James is not saying, if you need wisdom, like you may or may not. It depends on who you are. You might be a really, really just naturally astute person with an above average IQ, and you may not, this may not be for you. But I'm just saying, if it is, then... Well, here's the wisdom part. He's not saying that. What he's really saying, in the way the Greek is structured, he's saying here, if any of you lack wisdom, and you all do, then ask God for it. We all at times need wisdom. And I just, I just want to submit this to you for your, own, for your own consideration. If this is not a prayer that you have prayed any time at all recently, if you have not found yourself before God saying, help God, I don't know what to do. May I just suggest that you have a problem with pride? May I suggest that you have a problem with, with being um, content with your own resources, thinking that you can handle life situations on your own? And I just want to remind you that if that's you today, that God promises he's going to take you to places where you, well, he'll bring you to an end of yourself. And he will take you to a place where you, you will get there and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Please help me. I, I would encourage you to learn this lesson sooner rather than later. Because God wants us in a place where we understand who he is and who we are. 
and understand that we're, we keep a proper perspective in the midst of difficult times. And so what he's telling us here, with the context being trials and difficulties, that when you and I are in the thick of it, we need God's wisdom to see this trial as a stepping stone toward maturity. If we're looking at it through our human lens, we see it as a roadblock, as just a pain in the neck, or some otherwise uh, difficulty that we just can't wait to get around. But like we said last week, knowing that God's at work, He's promised to give us the wisdom to see this trial as an opportunity for growth rather than an occasion for bitterness. So we need to get to the point where we understand that we really need it on a day-to-day basis. We need God's wisdom. But secondly, we need to ask for it. God said, and this just may, it may, be, um, it may just be plain and simple, but I, I don't want to leave it unstated. He says, if, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The word let is in the imperative, so it really could be translated, if any of you lacks wisdom, he must ask of God. Lacking wisdom does not give one the option of of seeking God, but it's an obligation to seek Him. We need to go to Him and ask for it. I want to ask you this morning, what is your first reaction when you don't know what to do? Do you fret and worry? Do you complain? Do you wring your hands? Do you go to the nearest self-help book? to try to figure it out, to friends, to, to Facebook or Pinterest? Or do you, do you turn to God? Is He the first one that you run to? Not that reading books or talking, getting counsel from friends or bad ideas, but the first place we should go is to God. God, I don't know what to do today. I don't know how to handle this situation. I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. Sometimes God is the last place we go. Sometimes He's a last resort. When you've exhausted all the other possibilities, then we turn to God. I I hope that we switch that around in our lives. I hope He is the first place we run. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Our God is one who is ready and willing to answer this request. And that brings me to the third point there that it says we need to remember that we're asking a generous God. We need to remember that we're asking a good and generous God. We've said this before, but it cannot cannot be overstated that our God is not a stingy God. This verse tells us that He gives wisdom generously to all without reproach. He wants to just, just spread wisdom to anybody who's asking it. You don't have to meet a certain criteria or a, a, a certain list of qualifications. You don't have to have been a Christian for X number of years or have perfect attendance at church. He says, I'm giving it to all generously. This word means giving without ulterior motives, without mental reservation. One dictionary said James' intent then would be to highlight God's unreserved, uncalculating, unwavering intent to give his gift of wisdom to those who ask. God is like, there's no hidden motives here. There's no strings attached. It's not like, uh, like in, um, in, in the, the House or Senate, where they call it pork barreling, where they're shoving their own little perks and things into bills. There's nothing hidden here. He says, he says I, I want to just give it to you. 
There's no hidden motives. There's, he's not trying to manipulate us or have strings attached. You ever, you ever gotten a gift where you felt like there were strings attached? I, I remember when we lived in China, um, that was a little bit of their culture, especially in, in business dealings. It was called Guangxi. And um, there was this idea that, that, it, that things were given to you, but there was a, a certain obligation then you had on your part to return the favor, to do something else. And so we had, to, we had to talk with some of our language and culture helpers and say, okay, so-and-so dropped this by our house the other day. Was this just to be nice? And then, no, it wasn't just to be nice. No, they want something from you. It was, it was hard. It was kind of hard to wrap your mind around that kind of giving. I want you to know, though, that the God of the Bible is not like that. He's not trying to use this gift to dangle it in front of you, to manipulate you or anything like that. He says, I just want you to have it. Just come to me and ask it, and I give generously freely. You need wisdom today, Jeremiah? Here it is. And, and he also says he does it without reproach. That means that he's not going to be up there scolding you or scowling at you or frowning at you. God does not say when I come to him for wisdom, ah, there's catch him again. Guy's such a moron. He's asking me like every single day. Why did my wife laugh so hard at that? <laughs> He's such a moron. He can't figure life out. He's got he's to ask me again. God does not do it with reproach. He doesn't, he doesn't fold his arms and scowl from heaven at you. He knows what frail creatures we are. He knows our human sinfulness, and he knows that we need wisdom. That We need to come to him and say, God, I, I don't know what to do. And we're asking a God who's a generous God. And we're also asking a dependable God. We're asking a dependable God. It says, at the end of verse 5, it will be given to him. It's not like it might be given to him. Every third Tuesday it might be given. It's a promise that if you come to him in faith, asking for wisdom for life, it says he's going to answer that. He's a dependable God. He's a faithful God. He's not capricious and, and bouncing around with every kind of different whims and moods and things. He's, he's dependable. We can count on him. Not only is wisdom for the needy, though, but wisdom is also for the believing. Wisdom is for the believing. This is really important. This is really an important key part of all of this. Because verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. God, all the way throughout scriptures, has honored faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen, Christian, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to honor God without faith. You can, you can do all the service you want. You can, you can do all the, the, the holy Christian, Christian living you want. But if it's not done in faith, it does not honor God. Faith needs to permeate everything we do. We, sometimes maybe I think we think of faith as kind of like the training wheels to the Christian faith. That's how I, that's how I got in the kingdom. That's how I, I became a Christian was through faith. But now I'm going to get to the, the meaty stuff and work my tail off for Jesus. And listen, Peter told us that just as you receive Christ Jesus of the in, just as you receive Christ Jesus your Lord, which is through faith, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in the faith. He said, listen, the same way we receive Christ is the same way we need to live and walk with him. 
And that's in faith. Depending upon Him, trusting upon Him, relying upon Him. I, um, I've admitted before that I'm not always the world's greatest dad. And I have to, I have to be honest that, um, you know, you watch, you watch little children. And, and, of course, the Bible talks about it with childlike faith. Little children uh, naturally, intrinsically are very trusting. And I have, from time to time, exploited that trust through uh, uh, jokes and ruses and trying to get them to go along with a story. And, um, but at times, though, in, in, my, in my holier moments, I just marvel at just how, how simple a child's faith can be. If you say something, they, they believe it. They take your word for it. And, and that's where God wants us to be as believers. He wants us to be men and women who simply take his word for it. That's what faith is. It's trusting God. It's when God says something, I say, okay, okay, I believe you. Now, that's easy enough when everything's smooth sailing, right? But if, if God makes a promise and you're in the midst of trials and Satan is throwing all kinds of doubts your way and temptations, then it's a bit tougher. But to come back to the simple truth, we need to believe God's word is absolutely crucial. And if we anchor ourselves upon this in the good times, then when the difficult times come, we can be reminded, you know what, know what? God has made a promise, and I need to believe him. I need to trust him. I need to depend on no matter what kind of doubts come my way. We need to be people who ask in faith. Ask in faith. Trust God. Take him at his word. I want to ask you this morning, are there promises of God that you're having trouble believing today? Maybe it's, maybe it's the, the quest for wisdom. But maybe there's something else that you're just struggling to trust God with. Something else that you know he has said, but you think, it just doesn't seem like he's going to follow through on this. Trust him. He's a dependable, good, and generous God. But not only do you need to ask with faith, you need to make sure that you ask without doubt. Ask without doubt. Look at 6 through 8 there. He says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. And then he describes the doubter. He says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. When we're in these moments... We don't know what to do. God says, I want you to come to me believing, not as, as a doubter, not as a skeptic, but I want you to come in trust. Now, I, I want to say uh, that I don't think he's talking about, I don't think he's saying that we never, ever have any doubts, that a true Christian is never going to waver in his faith. We think about Peter walking on the water. He was doing good. He was walking to his Savior. And then he looked at the waves, he got scared and fearfully took his eyes off his Savior and began to sink. All of us have struggled with doubt from time to time. All of us have questions. I don't think that that's what he's talking about. Do you remember the story when, when that same Peter was in jail in Acts chapter 12 and he, um, he was literally, the pastor says he was hours from being um, taken out and executed. He was so close to his demise. Herod was going to have him put to death. And while he's laying there asleep in, in the prison, all of a sudden an angel comes and just, just unshackles him, 
and says, let's go. And he just walks right out of there. The guards didn't see him. Uh, There was nobody chasing him. No sirens went off. He just walked right out. In fact, the passage says he thought it was a dream until he got through the gate. And then he realized, holy cow, that, that just really happened. But then you remember what he went to. I think it was um, uh, the believers were gathered. I believe it was at Mary's house. And they were praying, presumably for Peter's release. And he knocks on the door. And Rhoda, the servant girl, opens up. And she's just like, and she leaves him there at the door. And she runs back inside to the believers who are praying for Peter's release. And they, she said, Peter's been released. And they said, no, it's probably his ghost. And she's like, I'm serious. Peter's right outside. And they're like, no, now quit bothering us. We need to go back to praying for Peter's release. God had answered their prayer. And apparently their faith was not that strong because they, they didn't believe it until they saw him walk in the room. And I'm just reminded that our God is patient with our doubts. He's, he understands our struggles. He knows that, that at times we can be like doubting Thomas and we've got to see the nail prints in his hands and we have a difficult time seeing with our eyes of faith. I, I don't think this passage is teaching that that person is not going to get anything from God. I think what he's talking about is, is someone who, uh, more than intellectual doubt, has a conflict in loyalties. Uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve both God and mammon. That, that I, I think what he's asking here, uh, or telling or warning us against, is the kind of doubt that's an act of distrust, that looks at God suspiciously, that says, I can't, I can't trust you, I can't believe you, God. You're not a reliable person. And he says that kind of person, that kind of attitude, he says that, that guy is not going to receive anything from the Lord. That, that, that one who kind of looks at God and can't take him at his word, kind of person who approaches God with a, a real lack of distrust. I think sometimes we're too easy on this idea of, of not believing God. We must not underestimate how serious it is to disbelieve God. Charles Spurgeon says, Every other crime touches God's territory, but unbelief aims a blow at his divinity. It impeaches his veracity. It denies his goodness. It blasphemes his attributes, and it maligns his character. Therefore, God of all things hates first and chiefly unbelief wherever it is. In our relativistic society, doubt and unbelief can be seen as a virtue, as someone who's on a quest for truth, always examining, always turning over new ideas, but they never arrive anywhere. They're always on the path. They never have a destination. Scripture does not look at doubt and unbelief the same way. God deals and speaks decisively against one who doubts the goodness of God. And we... We may struggle, we may have those times of doubt, but God wants us to move to a place where we grow in our confidence and our belief and dependence upon Him. And so briefly, he says the doubter is is like several different things. He compares him to a wave, a wave that's bouncing around. You know, if if some some of you may have been on Lake Michigan 
when it was really choppy. Maybe a storm came up, the wind was blowing, and maybe you were in a boat that really wasn't made for Lake Michigan, and all of a sudden it was tossing you around. And even with a motor, you're, you're still not getting anywhere, and you're at the mercy of the wind and the waves. It's a, it's a scary feeling. Even if you've not experienced it personally, maybe you've seen it pictured in a movie and you've seen the, uh, the, the, the waves pounding at a ship and tossing it back and forth and you recognize the power that's out there. And, and, and what James does is he takes that illustration and he says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be beaten around on one, say, on one day saying, I can trust God, I can believe God, God is good. And the next day, doubting God's generosity and goodness, saying, I don't, I don't know if I, can, if I can trust a God who's like that. He doesn't want you going back and forth. He says, that's, but that's how the doubter is. He wants us to be at a place where we have a confident trust in God. He says he's also not just like a wave, but he says he's double-minded. It literally means double-souled. He says this is the person whose allegiance can't be committed either way, back and forth, back and forth. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, in that book, John Bunyan calls this man Mr. Facing Both, both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. He wants a little bit this way and a little bit that way. He also says that this doubter lacks stability. The doubter is unstable. When problems arise, he's more likely to jump ship rather than to confidently hold on in the midst of the storm to his Savior. That's where God wants us. Listen, we, just like James's beloved believers here, God wants us to depend on Him in the midst of storms. And He knows that we're going to bump up against things where we just throw up our hands and say, I, I don't know what to do. God, I, I need your wisdom here because I don't know how to proceed further. And there are lots of things that we can do. The Bible does talk about getting counsel. The Bible talks about searching the Scriptures. There are maybe godly authors that you can go to for advice. But ultimately, what God wants us to do is go to Him and say, God, I need Your wisdom right now. Don't forget, this is not devoid from, or divorced from the Scriptures. That's where the two work in tandem. God may point us back to His Word, and His, His Word may have a very clear statement. A single person might be saying, should I marry this, this girlfriend I'm, I'm dating? God, give me wisdom. Help me to know. And then he reads in his Bible in 1 Corinthians 7, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he says, wow, I'm, I'm dating a girl who's not a Christian. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Maybe that's my wisdom right here, that I should, I should not proceed any further. Yes, God's speaking through his word, but sometimes it's not so clear cut. Sometimes we, we need to ask him and, and apply the biblical truths that we know and then just step out in faith and say, God, I feel like this is the wise decision right here. I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. I feel like this is how you want me to proceed. Sometimes it's not black and white, and those ones are the difficult ones. But here's the, here's the point of it all. When you don't know what to do, where do you go? Where's your first place to run when you have uncertainties? I want to challenge you this morning. Take, take James' 
command here and run with it. Go to God for wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, and you do, ask God. But ask in faith, believing, trusting that He wants to answer that prayer. Believe that you have a generous God, a good God, who wants to give, who wants to see you make it through, and who wants to see you make it through with true biblical wisdom from above. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word from James and the reminder to seek you for wisdom. Oftentimes in this earth, we we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do when our health doesn't seem to improve or, or maybe that relationship doesn't seem to be getting any better. We don't know what to do sometimes when we're battling temptation and we just feel like it almost can't be overcome. Sometimes we don't know how to talk to a, a coworker about Jesus Christ to share our faith. We don't know the best approach to take. God, we are people who need wisdom. And I pray that you would help us to be humble enough to ask for it, to get over ourselves and to realize that, that our own worldly wisdom is not at all impressive to you. And what we need is wisdom from above. So I pray, God, that you might help us to get our noses in the Word of God, to understand what you're asking, and then seek to apply it to life so that we can be people who are wise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.